Welcome to the Light Shine Church Sermon Podcast. I'm organizing pastor Rob Douglas, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. I think that question, Shay, <laughs> why make a gravy that only two people will eat? Um, that's going to stay with me. <laughs> that's good. Thank you. Um, so we're going to start right where Shay brought us, and that is launching a little Zoom poll um, with this question on it. When it comes to tradition, are you a tradition keeper, more of a tradition breaker, or some combination of the two? So Dustin's going to launch this poll. It should take you a whole 10 seconds to answer this question, and we'll see where we're at as a congregation. I think this will be fun. And we'll close the poll in about 10 more seconds. If you haven't answered, do so. And let's see where we're at. All right, Dustin, what are we? Uh, are we well, a group I'm, of tradition keepers or breakers or some kind of combination? Unsurprisingly, we are some sort of combination. Overwhelmingly, people at least think of themselves as a combination of the two. Okay. Overwhelmingly, like how overwhelmingly are we talking about here? Uh, 69%. So we have a few tradition keepers and breakers, though, in the group. Just a, just a couple. Handful? All right. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you. Thanks for that. Oh, there it is. All right. Not bad. So we see ourselves more as a combination of the two. If we were live and doing this in person, I would most definitely ask a follow-up question to that. It would be really fun to discuss in person. And that question would be, should good Christians be tradition keepers, breakers, or a combination of the two. So we see ourselves a certain way, but what do we think good Christians should be? So obviously we're in this theme of looking at tradition in a moment, you'll see why. But just to kind of set the table here, Christians are a part of a 4,000 year old tradition that dates back to the ancient Israelites, were a part of the oldest monotheistic religion in the world. Lightshine Church is also a part of the Reformed tradition that stretches back to the 16th century Reformation. We are uh, started, we were started by a, uh, as a Presbyterian church, which means that we're a part of a larger denomination with a local presbytery. In other words, even though Lightshine tends to be slightly on the more maverick side of things, tradition is still a really important part of who we are. Tradition has mostly served us well, but it also presents us with certain challenges. Shay pointed that out. Why make a gravy that only two people will eat? Tradition can, and it does sometimes, get in the way. The dreaded words in church that drive me absolutely crazy are these, but we've always done it that way. Today's scripture text will pose some really important questions about 
adaptation and change. Well, change often comes and disrupts. In 2020, change was thrust upon us in the form of a pandemic. For us, change was not optional. It's come uninvited into our homes, our schools, our workplaces, and even our church. Every sector of society, every single person has felt the disruption of this change. These changes have fundamentally altered our basic way of being as a church. We've adapted to this change by gathering online instead of being in person. So today we're going to learn, I hope, a few powerful and kind of profound principles from the master about how, when, and why to break with tradition, but all in a manner that does not devalue it. This is what Jesus is going to show us. Jesus will break with tradition without devaluing it. We're going to explore what can be learned from this and how we can use this to move forward on mission amidst this incredible um, sea of constant change that we find ourselves living in. So let's pray. God, meet us here in word and in spirit that we may be better equipped to adapt to the change that's been forced upon us so that we might better join with you in the work that you are doing in the world. Amen. Here we go. Luke 6, 1 through 16. One Sabbath, there's your tradition right there with that word Sabbath. One Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the cornfields, his disciples plucked some heads of grain, rubbed them in their hands, and ate them. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but priests to eat. And he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would cure on the Sabbath so that they might find an accusation against him. Even though he knew what they were thinking, he said to the man who had the withered hand, come and stand here. He got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to destroy it? After looking around at all of them, he said to them, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This section of scripture includes two stories that are connected by the theme of Sabbath, an ancient practice of the Judeo-Christian tradition. 
Sabbath law prohibited all labor on this day of rest. Now, for many of us today, Sabbath keeping has become kind of a faint memory. We don't talk about it much. Even us so-called professional Christians struggle to keep a Sabbath in this crazy, busy world of ours. I know when I was growing up, we kept the Sabbath by going to worship together as a family and attending Sunday school for my brother and I, and we always had family dinner. I remember my special commitment to Sabbath keeping when I was in high school was choosing to not surf on Sundays, which was stood out to all my friends, believe me. Now, as far as I can remember, though, the Sabbath never prohibited my dad, who is listening to this, from handing out the chores to my brother and I, which is a little bit disappointing. <laughs> Most of us today labor in one way or another on the day of rest. But does that mean that the Sabbath is unimportant, that it's not valuable? I don't think so at all, and I don't think that is what Jesus is showing us. In both stories, Jesus is criticized for his actions on the Sabbath by the religious professionals of his day. Both stories deal with activities that were forbidden on the Sabbath, harvesting and healing. Now, some people, because of this, have argued that these two stories show that Jesus has rejected the Jewish attitude toward the Sabbath. I couldn't disagree more with those comments. In fact, several of the ancient rabbis actually taught that under the right circumstances, the laws pertaining to Sabbath could be broken. So while walking through a grain field, Jesus's disciples pick wheat, they remove the chaff and ate. And the Pharisees, who were already by now, this early on into Luke's gospel, they're already keeping a very watchful eye on Jesus. They object to what Jesus has done. And Jesus responds that, well, King David did it too. <laughs> and they have this legal discussion, which turns into a battle of authority. Who here has the authority? I'm picturing the battle of wits from the princess bride between Jesus and the Pharisees. Anyone? The, if the Pharisees are in a tough position, if they reject Jesus's argument, then they also have to condemn King David. They also have to reject the testimony of scripture. Jesus is quoting from scripture. This is why you don't argue with Jesus. Every time I have tried, I've lost. So, we have this religious establishment, and they believe that Jesus didn't have the right credentials. He wasn't a priest, he's not a Pharisee, and yet here he's allowing people to break tradition. Who does this Jesus think he is? This is the fundamental question, and our text kind of poses to us, and Luke will answer this question in unequivocal fashion. Jesus is different from the teachers that preceded him. He possesses unique authority that we've already seen in the last couple weeks of Luke in his teaching and his miracles. His teaching and his miracles show that his authority is far superior to those of the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus can evaluate the law because the scripture says Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. 
Now, on a different Sabbath, the establishment is watching Jesus out of the corner of their eye. They're keeping a close watch on his every move. They're thinking, ah, now we've got him. We're going to get him. There's a man with a withered hand and healing on the Sabbath is forbidden. Jesus doesn't even care. Right in front of them, as full witnesses, Jesus has him stretch out his hand and he's healed. Now, instead of being convinced by the miracle, instead of celebrating with this man who has now been made whole, the end of our text says that they rage and plot against Jesus, showing us once again that even miracles do not always lead to belief. So what is happening? In attempting to defend the Sabbath tradition, the establishment actually plots to do harm while Jesus is seeking to meet real human needs. So the question becomes, who is the one that's truly violating the Sabbath? Who is truly violating the Sabbath? Those who plot to destroy life or the one who feeds the hungry and heals the broken? To the Pharisees, the ends, the rules, or the tradition, they're being used to justify a violent means. But we know better. Even the pursuit of righteousness and justice should do no harm. I want to finish with a few of my own reflections on what I think Jesus is teaching us in this story. What the Sabbath is really for in how we might consider adapting our traditions in order to better follow Jesus today. So both in action and speech, Jesus has shown us what true authority looks like. He departs from Sabbath tradition, but he doesn't devalue it. Sabbath is still important, but Luke wants us to consider what Sabbath is actually for. And it's simple. It's for good, not harm. It's for life, not destruction. This is our guiding principle. And so here in the story, Jesus is teaching us about love's function. The highest law of the Christian faith we can call the law of love. The law of love demands that hungry people get fed. The law of love demands that the suffering pain of people is relieved. The Apostle Paul calls this Christ's law says that none of our traditions should ever restrict us from loving and meeting real human needs. Compassion, in other words, is always appropriate, no matter what the rules say, and especially here, no matter what day of the week it is. Daily bread, we also know, is an important concept to Jesus. He even taught us to pray for it, which we will do shortly. And in a world today where 2 billion people live with food insecurity, Jesus wants hungry people fed. Choosing to do nothing because of the day that it is. 
choosing to do nothing, choosing to not feed hungry people, that in fact is what Jesus is saying dishonors the Sabbath because it's a choice that results in bringing harm to others. This is why Jesus breaks with tradition. The Sabbath is for good and not for harm. And then Jesus embodies the change that he wants to see in us. When so many right here and all around the world are suffering, like the man with the withered hand, Jesus wants to heal and relieve people's suffering. And so the same thing applies, choosing to do nothing, choosing to not relieve people's suffering dishonors the Sabbath because it's a choice that results in bringing harm to others. This is why Jesus breaks tradition. The Sabbath is for good and not for harm. And again, Jesus just embodies the change he wants to see in us. We know that hunger and pain are on the rise today. People are suffering everywhere. Our job is to never hide from it or deny it, but to respond to it out of love and compassion to relieve suffering. This story begs us to adapt and to change in order to better provide for the needs of our neighbors who are hurting. What does the future hold for us in this time of great uncertainty, in this time of uninvited or unwelcomed change? What cherished traditions might help us move forward? And which ones, like the gravy, do we need to possibly leave behind? While the clamor to return to normal is understandable, we know that not all of our traditions will be with us when the new normal is patterned. If we only do things as we did before, we will miss opportunities to serve God's purposes and join God's mission. I want to close with a personal example. I have a rule or a tradition that I have been following for over 20 years of ministry, and here's what it says. It says, don't ever create competing events, especially ones that compete with our worship gathering. And yet, on Christmas Eve, this is exactly what I did. I remember I woke up early one morning, and when Katie got up and joined me on the sofa for a cup of coffee, I told her that I had this crazy idea that Lightshine should serve dinner to people experiencing homelessness on Christmas Eve at the same time of our worship gathering. And you know what? She could have said, but we've never done it like that before. That's absolutely true. We haven't done it like that before. And thank goodness, that's not what she said. She said, we need to do that. Now that dinner, we had over 20 different families contribute to making that dinner and a group of people who stayed behind to serve that meal while most of us were gathered online for worship. I created competing events. I broke with my own tradition, my own rule, and it turned out to be one of the most special things 
that we've ever been a part of. I know Frank Jew is on this call today and I remember something that Frank said to me afterwards. He told me afterwards that serving that meal on Christmas Eve truly adjusted his soul. We broke with tradition, serving Christ's mission to feed hungry people and to relieve suffering. This was or is our worship of God. And we honored that Christmas Eve, just like Jesus did these two Sabbath days that are recorded in Luke's gospel, because we joined the Spirit in providing for our neighbor's needs. As individuals, as families, and as a church, we will ask, what traditions should we keep? And what traditions might we consider leaving behind? How do we make these kind of decisions? Jesus actually makes this one a little simpler than it might at first be. Jesus might say this, whichever choice best provides for your neighbors in need. Which choice better provides for your neighbors in need? That is a powerful guiding principle that can help us to move forward on mission, participating in the feeding and the healing of the world. Tradition can be helpful, but when it fails to meet real human suffering, Jesus might tell us to walk away and to leave it behind. Amen. We are going to take a few minutes to reflect on hearing the word read and spoken with these two questions. What is the Spirit saying to you about the purpose of tradition and when it is appropriate to break with it? And how might you consider better